Let us then return to Genesis chapter 2. We're going to focus upon verses 2 and 3 of Genesis chapter 2. Verse 2, which reads, And on the seventh day God ended his work which he had made, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had made. And God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because that in it he had rested from all his work which God created and made. The title for our meditation this morning is The Sabbath Day. The Sabbath Day. I think it's true to say that the world and a large percentage of the Christian church has abandoned observing the Christian Sabbath or the Lord's Day. Many think it is irrelevant and we're not obliged to observe it claiming that it was given to the Old Testament believers in the times of the Jews. However, this is not our opinion and we do not believe it is the teaching of the Word of God. We maintain that the Bible teaches we are commanded to set apart one day in seven for the public and private worship of God and also to perform works of necessity and mercy. As we approach this subject I realize that there will be I believe most of you who will happily nod in approval about what I'm going to say and to you I hope that as I reiterate things that you already know, it might cause you to have a greater appreciation for the Lord's Day or the Sabbath or the Christian Sabbath, whatever you want to call it. However, there may be others. The subject indeed might be regarded as novel and maybe new and they maybe need some instruction regarding what the Bible teaches about the Christian Sabbath and the Lord's Day. It is with that intention then that we want to, to look at this subject this morning. And surely as we come to it, we come as disciples. We come and we want to learn. We want to learn what the Bible says to us. Because ultimately, what the Bible says for the Christian is what we want to do. We want to be obedient to the teachings that we find in the Word of God. Now briefly in this chapter we have uh, a somewhat uh, reiteration of creation. It's a kind of commentary on what happened in Genesis chapter 1. But here we have also in this chapter what we would call creation ordinances. And they are the very backbone of creation and the very backbone of mankind, you might say. And what are these creation ordinances? Well, there is marriage. This is what we find here. And as we've said on other occasions, marriage is the normal for most people. It's not for everyone, 
we are happy to acknowledge that. But for most people, marriage, one man, one woman, is the normal for each and every one of us. Another creation ordinance is work. We have it here in this chapter. Adam was put in the garden, the Garden of Eden, a perfect garden. Yet he had to tend to that garden. And there we have God instituting work, labor for mankind. And this is something that we find throughout the whole of the world. Men have to work. Women have to work. It is a creation ordinance. And of course the ordinance we're going to look at this morning is the Sabbath day. The Sabbath day. Well, there's one or two things I want to say, and then I want to ask and answer one or two questions from this subject. First of all, as a statement, we would notice the Sabbath was ordained by God. It's not man's initiative. It hasn't come from man. It doesn't come with the authority of man. Our Creator has instituted a day when he himself was going to rest from the act of creation. Genesis chapter 1 tells us that in six days he made everything. And on the seventh day he rested. And what we mean by that is he stopped his work of creation. There was no more creation after the sixth day. And the... the the pinnacle or the very zenith of creation was mankind. And it would not be wrong, friends, and it would not fill us with pride if we accepted that in some real way the whole of the world was created in order that man would have a home. It was created with man in mind. Yes, we know creation glorifies God. Of course it does. We're not going to say that, discredit that for one moment. But as, as you look at it, how he went through creation, he was preparing a place for mankind. And mankind is the very zenith and the pinnacle of God's creation. And as we've said, what was his verdict? In verse 31 of chapter 1, God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. That was God's estimation. That was God's judgment. He looked at this pristine world, this perfect world, and mankind was perfect in that world. And he said, it is very good. It delighted the Lord our God, when he saw his handiwork. But then, straight after the sixth day, he ordained a day of rest. Now, we are not to think for one moment that God needs to rest. God has almighty power. And we can understand that when it said he rested, he only rested from the work of creation. He continued moment by moment, day by day, to uphold his creation. He did not stop the work of providence and upholding the creation. That continued. And of course, God does not need to rest. 
He never tires. He's never weary. He never slumbers. He never sleeps. And then if, if we accept that God has ordained this day, we must ask ourselves, why has he ordained this day? He has ordained this day as a pattern for mankind. That's why he has ordained it. Did we not sing just a few moments ago from Psalm 103? Verse 14 in the metrical version. What does it read? For he remembers we are dust, and he our frame well knows. We are quite well used to realizing that when we die, our bodies turn to dust. But the Bible says, even when we're alive, here, now, we are dust. We are dust. And we forget that. We think we're invincible. We think we can carry on working six, seven days a week. This is the general thinking of people today in this world. They don't need a Sabbath day rest. They don't need to stop doing their normal duties and vocations. They can carry on. And we would believe, although it's very difficult to actually prove this, we will believe that as a society we are suffering because of it. Because we don't observe this day, we have so many illnesses, diseases, and loss of production in work. And we believe it can all, or most of it, can be attributed to the fact that we do not observe this day of rest. And we do not realize that we are dust. And God has given us this day. He himself did contemplate his work. And surely this was certainly that something that Adam and Eve were to do on the first Sabbath. They were to contemplate the works of God. We sang that in one of our Psalms, in Psalm 92, about the works of God, the great works of God. And this is what they were to do on the first Sabbath. So, first of all, this is not man-made. This has not come from the church. This has come from Almighty God, from our Creator. But we want to notice, secondly, that the Sabbath was set apart by God. And here I am indebted to some of the comments from R. A. Finlayson, who was a former Free Church minister. I'm indebted to some of his comments here regarding the fact that the Sabbath was set apart by God. If you look at verse 3, And God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it. God put a special blessing. He set this day apart. This day was not like any ordinary day. This had the blessing of God and he sanctified it. What? He made that day holy 
different from all other days. He had made all other days, but this day, the Sabbath day, it was to be unique. It was to be special. And God's blessing was going to be upon that day. He said, Mr. Finlayson, in the six preceding days, he revealed his power as almighty creator. On this day, he was to reveal his character as holy. Throughout the other days, the key word of the sacred narrative is God created. That's what happened in all the other six days. God created, God created, God created. But on the seventh day, it is God sanctified. God set this part, this day apart in order that he might bless it and in order that it might be a blessing to mankind. Six days of creative action and one day of rest. That was the pattern, the divine pattern and that's what we have here. And God has blessed this day and we are to realize this. We are to appreciate it. For many people look upon the Sabbath day as a, a drudgery. But it is a blessed day. It's a blessed day because God has made it a blessed day. And he has sanctified it. And what God has blessed and what God has sanctified truly will be blessed. If we are indeed to enter into the spirit of obeying it. Well, as I said, we want to ask ourselves one or two questions regarding this. And the first question we want to ask ourselves is, did early man observe this day? If you go through the book of Genesis, it's not easy to see if the early people, did they actually observe this day? And people sometimes say that this day was for God and for God alone. It is no relevance to mankind. Of course, we certainly wouldn't agree with that. But we can ask ourselves the question, did the early man actually observe this Sabbath day? Did he take notice of the seventh day? Well, this topic, friends, would be a sermon or two in its own right. But I certainly will highlight one or two things to, to answer positively that early man did indeed observe the Sabbath day. You will be familiar with, the, with Noah and the flood. And you will know that the flood came and Noah was in the ark for so many days. The rain stopped. The water started to subside. Noah sent out a dove. It came back. We're told seven days later, he sent out another dove. It came back. He did the same thing seven days later. That's a clear indication that Noah... One of the patriarchs, he knew about the Sabbath day. He observed it. We can go on a bit further on into the book of Exodus. Moses had brought the people out of Egypt. They were in the wilderness before they got the law. 
We find the law comes in Exodus chapter 20. But in Exodus chapter 16, what do we find? God was feeding the people. He was feeding the people miraculously. He was sending down manna from heaven. And they were to go out daily and to collect as much as they wanted. But on the sixth day they were commanded to gather twice as much. Because God was not going to give them the miraculous provision of the manna on the seventh day. Exodus chapter 16 verse 26. Six days ye shall gather it, but on the seventh day, which is the Sabbath, in it there shall be none. Uh, there a clear reference to the Sabbath. If we go on a few chapters in Exodus chapter 20, what happens there? The law of God is given. Moses goes up to Mount Sinai. He receives the law of God in two tables of stone. On the first table we have commandments 1 to 4. On the second table we have the commandments 5 to 10. There God wrote these commandments on stone by his own finger. And when he comes to commandment number 4 about the Sabbath day, what does he say? How does it begin? It says, remember the Sabbath day. Remember it. Why were they to remember it? They were to remember it because when they were in Egypt, because of the bondage and because they were working continually, they forgot about the Sabbath. And they were told to be reminded about it. So, did the early man observe this day? Yes, he did. Yes, he did. And we can clearly mark that out by looking at the Old Testament. These are just some examples, but there would be others to tell us that man, early man, did observe this day. Now we're coming on to something that's more relevant to ourselves in the 21st century. As New Testament Christians and believers, we ask ourselves another question. Is it still binding? If we accept it was in the Old Testament and the believers in the Old Testament practice this Sabbath observance, is it still relevant to us in the 21st century following the death of the Lord Jesus Christ and the resurrection? Is it still relevant or does it belong and confined to the annals of the Old Testament? Is it something that's relevant to the Old Testament believers only? Because this is an argument that's put to us and we have to answer it. And by the grace of God, we will answer it. First of all, before we answer it, if, if for instance, you're asking this question, is it still binding? It is legitimate for me to ask you a question before I will answer your question. And what is the question I would ask you? The question I would ask you is, why should it not be binding? Why should it not be binding? Can you give me one reason why it should not be binding? Let us go back to the very beginning. God gave this commandment to perfect humanity. To innocent humanity. 
to sinless humanity. By this time, sin had not entered into man's experience. He was having a wonderful relationship with his creator, something that we probably cannot comprehend, and only in glory will we have some realization of it. But here was Adam, perfect, holy, upright, innocent, and he was commanded to observe the Sabbath day. And the question then we would ask ourselves is, if innocent, sinless mankind was to observe this, why should sinful mankind not observe it? Is there any difference? Adam was from the dust. We're from the dust. We're sinful by nature and sinful by practice. Surely then the onus is on you to try to tell us why this is not still binding. But I will tell you it is binding. And we go back to uh, the law of God. We find this Sabbath commandment. Where do we find it? We find it in the Ten Commandments. Now there is some confusion regarding some people about the Ten Commandments. We are to understand that when Moses was given the Ten Commandments, he was not given something that was new to mankind. Mr. Finlayson again expresses this very clearly. Quote, the coded precept of the moral law were but a republication of truths and standards already known to man, engraved on the constitution of his nature when he was made in God's image and after his likeness. Let me try to simplify that in modern words. And I wouldn't be distorting the word of God when I say that the law of God is in our DNA. It is part of our constitution. It is something that God has given to every single human being. And when the law of God was codified, when it was written out clearly for Moses and for the people of God, and for all mankind, it was simply bringing to light what's in the heart of every single individual. But because of sin, the law is somewhat defaced, and it's, it's marred, it's smudged, or we might say it's out of focus. And that's why we have it written out for us, crystal clear in words that all of us can understand. Maybe you're still wondering, is it still binding? It's part of what we call the moral law. It's in the fourth commandment. It is the fourth commandment. Tell me, have any other of these commandments ceased to be binding? Are we allowed to kill? 
Are we allowed to commit adultery? Are we allowed to steal? Why do you think the fourth commandment is somehow not binding when all the other commandments are still binding? Are you not to love the Lord your God? Are you not to obey the first commandment which says, Thou shalt have no other gods before me? The obvious answer to these questions is, of course, they're all binding. Well, why do you think, and why does many of the professing Christian church think that somehow the fourth commandment is not binding? We have said on other occasions when we studied the law of God, that the law of God, the Ten Commandments, they reveal something to us of the glory and of the wonder and of the holiness of our God. Has he changed? Of course not. He doesn't change. Therefore, it is still binding. And what's more, it's binding upon every single Christian. And it's binding upon every single human being. There are no exceptions. Don't fall into the trap and thinking that the Ten Commandments or the Fourth Commandment is, is to be confined to professing Christians. It's for Muslims. It's for Hindus. It's for atheists. It's for agnostics. It's for all. For every one of us are made in the image of God. And God has a claim upon our lives. It is binding. No question about it. We are under the law of God. Not under the law of God in order to work our way to heaven. Of course not. Away with that. We won't have that. But nevertheless, we are not released from our obligation to obey the law of God. We ask ourselves another question. Or we address another issue, maybe I should say. What is it? Well, clearly the day has changed. If you have been following me, you will notice that the first Sabbath, the Old Testament Sabbath, was on the seventh day, the last day of the week. Saturday, it would be in our calendar. Well, we don't go to church. We don't gather for worship on Saturday. We come on the first day of the week. And therefore, there has been a great change. And that's why we call this the Christian Sabbath or the Lord's Day. Why has this change come about? Our catechism will tell us. Question 59. Which day of the seven hath God appointed to be the weekly Sabbath? And the answer given. From the beginning of the world to the resurrection of Christ, God appointed the seventh day of the week to be the weekly Sabbath. And the first day of the week ever since to continue to the end of the world, which is the Christian Sabbath. That's what the Catechism teaches, and we endorse it completely. But where did the compilers of the, uh, of the Confession, or the Catechism, where do they get this in the Bible? 
Because ultimately, our source, our ultimate source, is the Word of God. We value our confessions, we value our catechisms, but they are subordinate. It is the Word of God we go to. And we find in the Word of God there is evidence that there was to be a change. Jesus confronted the Pharisees on many occasions. And they took exception to him because he performed miracles and did things that they thought should not be done on the Sabbath day. And Jesus said on one occasion, The Sabbath was made for man, and not man for the Sabbath. Therefore the Son of Man is Lord also of the Sabbath. And surely that's a clear indication that the Lord was going to change the day from the seventh to another day which happened to be the first. Think about it. The original Sabbath was there in order that mankind may contemplate the works of God in creation. Since the fall, God has undertaken another work, a more glorious work, a more powerful work. What is that work? It is the work of redemption. And that truly is a stupendous work. And the more that we know about it, the more that we're amazed what God did in and through the Lord Jesus. And we know that he has accomplished redemption. He cried out, it is finished on the cross. And the fact that he rose from the dead would tell us that his work was completed, it was accepted. And now, our Sabbath day, the Lord's day, does not so much reflect upon the work of creation, but in the work of recreation. Because in recreation, what is God doing? He is making a new humanity. He is calling a people out of this world. And friends, if you're a Christian this morning, you have been called out of the world. And he's making a new people to inhabit a new world, wherein dwelleth righteousness. And this is what our Sabbath day does. It glories in what Christ has done. Therefore the Son of Man is Lord also of the Sabbath. And it would be apt and appropriate to comment upon what, what he said just previously. The Sabbath was made for man. Oh, that our legislators and our politicians and our employers... And all of us would take this on board, that we would read this and underline it. The Sabbath was made for man. It's God's gift to mankind. It's God's gift to every man, woman, and child here today. He has given this day. Why? Because he loves his people and he wants them to benefit. He wants them to prosper physically, mentally, spiritually, emotionally, any way possible. The Sabbath was made for man and those who truly observe the Sabbath will know the blessing of the Lord upon their lives. Now these things are hard to prove. We're not going to deny it. But evidence would suggest, friends, look at our nation. Look at it. Look at the crime. 
Look at the problems in our health service. Look at the problems in our governments. Look at the problems in our homes. See the courts. See all the things. See all the depression. See all the things that are wrong with mankind. Ultimately, they can be traced back to this great truth that people have forgotten that the Sabbath was made for you, for mankind. Is the day still special? Another question then. Is the day still special? We saw at the early or the first Sabbath. What do we find? God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it. Does he still do that with the Christian Sabbath? Have we any evidence that God has truly blessed the first day of the week like he did bless the seventh day of the week? If we go to the New Testament, friends, what do we find? Jesus rose from the grave on the first day of the week. Jesus appeared to his disciples on the first day of the week. There in a room, the doors were shut, everything was closed, but Jesus revealed himself to the apostles and the disciples on the first day of the week. Thomas wasn't there. You know what he said? I'll not believe until I see the marks of his scars and I put my hand into the marks of his scars. Or words to that effect. What happened? Some day, some eight days later? Eight days? That's just the Jews telling us that it was the next Sabbath. Jesus appeared again. To his disciples. The Holy Spirit came on the day of Pentecost. That was the first day of the week. The resurrection and the coming of the Holy Spirit came on the first day of the week. Surely there is something there for us to grasp. God was blessing the new Sabbath, the Christian Sabbath. There's no doubt in the book of Acts, the New Testament believers were in a, a period of transition and that more than likely they were in worship on the seventh day and in the first day. It was a time of transition, but it came to the point when the early church met exclusively on the first day of the week. Because that's the day when Jesus rose. And that's the day when the Holy Spirit came. And we find this evidence in the book of Acts, for instance. The early church met on the first day of the week. You can go to Acts chapter 20, verse 7. And there you will find Paul and his associates gathering with the church at Troas on the first day of the week. And some time ago, as we looked at 1 Corinthians, we noticed in connection with the, the offering that they were going to gather for the poor people in Judea, Paul gives them instructions regarding this 
uplifting of this offering, this love gift to their poor brethren in Judea. Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I have given order to the churches of Galatia, even so do ye upon the first day of the week. Let every one of you lay by him in store as God hath prospered him. They were to bring their offerings on the first day of the week. Why the first day of the week? Because that was the normal day when they gathered to worship. And of course we have the Apostle John, the Apostle of Love, the aged Apostle, as he was in the Isle of Patmos when he received the revelation that we call the Book of Revelation. What does he say? I was in the Spirit. When? On the Lord's Day. That was the first day of the week. So there's clear evidence, friends, that the day has changed and God is still blessing this day. And you will find, again, another thing that's very difficult for us to prove, but you will find that on the Sabbath day, on this day, when the gospel is preached, it's when sinners are brought to repentance and faith. And it's when the people of God are built up in their most holy faith. This day is for the church, for the people of God, for all. It's what God has given to mankind. And we despise it at our peril. It's a day when we come together like we're doing here. It's a day for public worship. It's a day for private worship. It's a day for contemplation. It's a day when we are to practice and to perform works of necessity and works of mercy. It's a day to be devoted to God. And do you know, friends, the world will tell you it's a waste of time. But it's not. Because God has blessed and God has sanctified the Sabbath day. Amen. And may the Lord be pleased to bless his word to us. Let us pray together.